Hey, I'm Adam. I'm a pastor here at the Neighborhood Church where we're following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. I'm glad that you're here with us. Would you uh, grab a Bible if you've got one? If you don't got one, there's one in front of you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 in just a moment. Luke chapter 23. Well, this week um, I did a funeral and uh, I had the honor of doing a funeral for some former members' father. And his name is Jim. And so I'd known this family for several years and walked with them. And uh, I even visited Jim uh, in the last several weeks a few times in his last days. And after he passed, I sit down with the family and I basically just kind of say, you know, what are some of the things you'd love to highlight? What are some of the things that just when you think of this person that really just stand out to you? And so what happens is I'm just collecting stories, and they just keep coming and coming and coming. But there was one word that kept coming up, and that was hero. And that was like from the daughters and from the brother and from the wife and from the cousin and the, from whoever, hero. He was a hero. And what the daughters said, each of them in their own way, is basically that he was always coming to our rescue. And I thought, what a beautiful thing to say about a father. But I realized pretty quickly they weren't saying it metaphorically. He literally rescued them and saved their lives on numerous occasions. And not just them, but a lot of people. And I'm serious, there was at least a dozen stories of how Jim would, in a pinch, just find himself in a situation and he needed to help somebody. I mean, he was like a walking emergency room. Like he's just going and, and doing this. And a lot of it because he was always flying airplanes and he was in boats and he was doing these incredible things. And it was just unbelievable. It was the neighbor kid girl who was just riding her bike and he said, don't go by the, the dock or you'll fall in the lake. And of course, what does she do? You ride on that dock. And she fell in. And this would have been a bad deal if there was water, but there was a drought. So it was even a worse deal because all it was was six feet of mud. And he was the type of dude that didn't think twice, and he jumped in, and he saved this little girl from this quicksand of mud in the lake. And he's covered from head to toe in mud, but he was there rescuing. There's another story of three young men in freezing water in the middle of the lake. Their canoe capsized. He gets over there, and he gets them right side up, and he gets them to the shore. I mean, it's just incredible. But I think my favorite story is actually a non-human story, and I just got to tell this because it's so hilarious. And myself as a dad with daughters, I get it. My favorite story was a non-human story, and that was when a Ken doll took a spill off of that same dock. They should have fixed that dock, man. I, I mean, I didn't say that at the funeral, but I was like, maybe that's why he's a hero. <laughs> so this Ken doll falls over, and I just love this because I can imagine Jim doing this. It's like, so he gets real dramatic because his little daughter's just crying and saying, Dad, help him, help him. And so he gets real dramatic and he dives in to save this Ken doll. And the thing about the Ken doll that is so, so awesome is that he had a traumatic injury, so this was a one-armed Ken doll. So I don't know what happened. She said it was a hand-me-down doll, so who knows? He lost his arm, but the best part and the reason why he dove in so dramatically was because here's the little daughter in the corner going, Dad, he can't swim. He only has one arm. And so he's just diving in and whoo, making a big deal out of it and saving the Ken doll. So, so awesome. So awesome. He was a hero. He said he was always coming to, 
people's rescue. And I thought, what a beautiful legacy, something to say. And so I imagine that if you ask Jim this famous question that was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? I believe that Jim would have said, basically anybody who's in need. Have you heard of the law, the Good Samaritan law? You're driving by and there's somebody and you want to render aid, right? That question, who is my neighbor, was asked in the context of the greatest commandment, where you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, right on. And so then the legal expert asks Jesus, this is in Luke 10, and he says, well, then who's my neighbor, right? He wants to clarify. He wants to put a boundary on it. And then Jesus goes and tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan. And we see as he tells this story, to be a neighbor is to respond to a need. And the thing about neighbors that we see in the Good Samaritan, and we're going to see in just a moment in Luke 23, is that Jesus has rezoned the neighborhood. We talk about this phrase a lot in the neighborhood church Because when the legal expert was asking Jesus, who's my neighbor, what he was really asking is, where's the boundary of who I'm to love and who I can ignore? And so Jesus tells a story, hey, even the Samaritan acted as a neighbor. And the Samaritan is code for those people. The people you wouldn't want to be neighbors with. But a neighbor is somebody who responds to a need, and Jesus rezoned, remapped our demographic, and now everyone we encounter is a neighbor. And so we're going to see tonight in Station 5, Jesus himself, who had healed and helped thousands, was suddenly in a position where he needed a neighbor's help. Isn't that powerful? Last week, and... Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus stumbled and fell under the weight of a cross that was never meant for him. And then Jesus, last week, meets his mother. It's that biblical imagination where we saw her at the cross, and we imagine as Jesus is going through the crowd, he's probably scanning and looking for a familiar face, and he sees his mother who looks on with sorrow and helplessness at the Savior who suffers. And then to add the next bit to our journey as we walk toward Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus, and ultimately Sunday when He is raised from the grave. When we see Him in this part of our story, we see Jesus who helped and was a good neighbor to so many is now in need of a neighbor Himself. And it's an unlikely neighbor. And it's a man named Simon. And we meet Simon in one verse in Luke chapter 23. Would you look with me at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, the him is Jesus, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. We meet Simon, who met Jesus, who is a neighbor he encountered in need. And so tonight, we're going to see, I think, I hope, three reminders about what it means for us to be good neighbors as members on mission in the neighborhood church. Because each week, the crucial question for us is, how do we find our story in the story of the cross? How do we find our story in the story of the cross? Which is why we've been seeing these videos and these artists trying to get into our bones the story that is the story. 
It is the revelation of God's love and sacrifice, which is here on the next slide. Why do we do this? How do we try to find our story? It's because when we become immersed in this story, we are transformed by God's love and sacrifice to then go love and sacrifice. It's not just that we're inspired, it's through the cross in some powerful, mysterious way that when we get the story in our bones, it actually transforms us. It goes beyond inspiring us. And we need to be inspired and transformed to be good neighbors to those we encounter. And the three reminders are these. I'm going to hit them, and then we'll spend a few minutes walking through these tonight. And here's the reminders. Number one, you cannot choose your neighbors. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Next point. Ready? (laughs) Two... To love your neighbor as yourself means sacrificial action. Love in our church, we say the shorthand definition is sacrificial action, right? Love ain't just warm fuzzies. I love tacos and I love my 17-year-old girlfriend. You can love them in some way, but it's something deeper than puppy love and affection toward food items. It is sacrificial action. I could tell my wife all day long I love her, but until I fold laundry, she doesn't know it. It's sacrificial action. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Not about laundry, about sacrificial action. (laughs) The third reminder we'll see is a neighbor responds to needs. You see what I crossed out there? This is kind of like behind the scenes peak. I literally first, when I was writing this out, I said, a neighbor is one who is ready to respond to needs. But then when we see in Simon's case, what we just read, that dude wasn't ready, but he responded. A neighbor is one who responds to needs. These are what we're going to see tonight, Lord willing, in our message in the station and the story of the cross. So, back in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, our first reminder we're going to unpack here for a moment is that Captain Obvious one, and that is you cannot choose your neighbors. And this is the thing about that. We know this physically, geographically. Could you imagine a world in which you could, like, if you staked out the claim and you were the first house in your neighborhood and you wanted to get applications for who you wanted to live beside you, make sure that their leaves don't get into your yard? Boy, our neighbors, God bless them, they take such good care of our yard. They have no trees in their front yard. We have, like, three trees in our front yard. They get all of our leaves. And they're Christians, God love them, and they are good neighbors to me. But if they were to take applications, you know, I think they would at least want me to cut down my trees. But they can't choose me. I'm their neighbor. But for followers of Christ, this is true as well. You cannot choose your neighbors. Jesus, as we said, rezoned the neighborhood. And he said that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? How can I choose who's in and who's out? Well... Jesus, as we just mentioned, told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story is one in which there's a man that was beaten and bloodied and robbed and left for dead. And you have holy person number one walk by and refuse to be a neighbor and a gym-like hero and help. Then you have holy person number two refuse to be a hero, refuse to be a neighbor, and walks around. And so when Jesus tells this story, he asks a question back to the one who said, who's my neighbor? And he said this, who was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and left for dead? And the legal expert who knew well the two holy people, Jesus was 
imagining in this story, the neighbor was forced to respond, the one who had mercy. And it was the one that he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He was one of those people. But the Samaritan chose to be a neighbor to the person he passed by. And when we meet Simon the Cyrene on the story to the cross, the journey to the cross, he was only passing by. He had nothing to do with the condemnation, more than likely, and we'll talk about why in a minute. He had nothing to do with Jerusalem. He didn't live there. He lived more than a month journey walking. He had no idea what was happening. He's coming into town. Jesus is on his way out of town. Simon was only passing through, but you know what? He encountered a beaten and bloodied man too. Simon wouldn't have chosen to move in next to Jesus. And I don't know if Jesus would have chosen him to help. But the reality is, he became a neighbor. He saw a need, and these Roman soldiers grabbed him, and he met the need. You see what we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, when they seized Simon the Cyrene, and he was on his way from the country, we see a man who never intended to carry a crossbeam because the condemned people were supposed to carry the crossbeam. It was part of the shame. Jesus was laid the cross on, and Jesus was supposed to take it out. He was the condemned one. He was the one that all the crowd needed to look at and spit at and shame and mock. The condemned person carried the crossbeam. And so when Jesus falls, and they see that he can't do it, and remember that Jesus had been up all night He was praying and great sweat drops of blood. He was in agony. He was saying, is there any other way to do this? And he senses in his spirit, no. So he sets his face to the cross. And right around that time, his friend that had been with him for years betrays him. And then he knows that his other friends who had been with him just abandoned him. And he was up all night and he was in a midnight uh, ramshackle kind of uh, trial. And then all of a sudden he gets moved to this person and then to this person and kicked up the ranks to Pilate. He's up in the morning. Then Pilate says, I'm done with him. Just have him scourged. He's whipped. He's beaten. You think you had a long day? So Jesus stumbles and falls and he's in need of help. He's in need of a neighbor. But the soldiers will not help him carry the cross. Two reasons. Think about it. If they condemned him and they're about to murder him, why would they help him? But the bigger reason is this. They were Roman soldiers, not just citizens, soldiers. They would never, ever, ever, ever think to put a cross on their shoulders. They were too above it. They were too above it. It was shameful for a Roman to carry it. So they go and grab presumably a non-Roman. Simon was not a Roman name. They grab this guy and we have him and we know that he's from Cyrene, which was a capital city in North Africa. You geography people, it's in Libya. So he had come a long way. And I tell you what, we're going to talk about this in a minute too. This was not on his trip advisor. So he gets thrust into this journey. Was Simon a pilgrim? Why else would you go to Jerusalem in that day and take the dangerous and long, hard, month-long journey? He was probably a pilgrim there to celebrate that huge festival, Passover. Passover, of course, was when Israel looked back to when God decisively acted and liberated 
Israel, God's people, from her enemies. Jesus is getting crucified on Passover when God is going to decisively act and liberate God's people and the whole world from their enemies. Perhaps he was coming to celebrate Passover, and just like Jesus, he stayed just out of town in the suburbs because it gets so full. So he didn't participate in the trial of he's coming out, right? If he's coming in from the city, he just shows up and goes, well, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, he's got a cross beam on his back. All of a sudden, they cross paths, and he now becomes a participant in Jesus' journey. And here's the thing about us people. If I can just take a step back and give us kind of a big picture metaphor here. How many of you have heard me say at one time here or in lunch or in a leader meeting or in a class, where are you on your journey with Jesus? Have you heard this question? This is a good question. I like this question. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? I'm a firm believer that we all in our life with God are in process, right? Our life with God, look, is not always this. And then I get wings and I'm holy. You don't get wings, by the way. Not so far as I know. No, no, no. We're all in process and our life looks a lot like this. Because guess what? Life looks a lot like this. huh? The famous Psalm 23, this is what we did at the funeral. You know, it shows us of a shepherd who cares for us and walks with us and leads us through the green pastures and the dark valleys. And life is a journey. Life is a process. And so I think about when ministry gets into the mix or just being a good neighbor, right? It's going to be a journey, and it's going to be a journey that is with someone else. J.R. Briggs, who is a dear friend of mine, and, and Kathy's in this church, he's a part of Ecclesia. By the way, there's some Ecclesia packets here that are from last year. If you want to kind of take a look at what Ecclesia is about, go to their website, ecclesianet.org. You'll see that this week on our Facebook page, or check out the packet. J.R. Briggs is a part of Ecclesia. And he'll never forget that in his first seminary class, the professor asked him, hey, what is ministry? And he told him this, and it's in his new book called Ministry Mantras. Ministry is meeting people where they are and journeying with them to where God wants them to be. Ministry is meeting people where they are and journeying with them to where God wants them to be. Two quick observations. Ministry is not waiting for people to show up. The pastor of this church, Larry Venable, tweeted a couple of days ago, and it was really powerful. He said, uh, being a church on mission is not saying come and see, but rather go and serve. We as a church need to go, not just wait, and meet people where they are. And then this part, journeying with them to where God wants them to be. The with is crucial. It's not point and click and say, hey, go get you some Jesus and come back when you're cleaned up. It's journeying with them through the mess. Think of the person that it exhausts you to journey with. And now pray and say, God, give me strength because I'm pretty certain that I'm the one that's got to journey with them. And perhaps because it's so difficult is why God wants you to journey with them. Because it ain't just them that you got to fix. There is somehow in which God is fixing you in the context of that relationship. And one of the things he wants to fix is this. You're not journeying with them to where I want them to be. Here's what I want to see happen. 
No, it's where God wants them to be. Simon didn't choose to participate in this journey, but all of a sudden he's journeying with Jesus. Simon might not have wanted to take this journey, but Simon meets Jesus where he is, and he's journeying with them to the place that no one thought he should be, and that is the cross. But it's where God wanted him to be to liberate the world from the enemies. Sin, death, Satan. The cup didn't pass and Jesus is headed to the cross and Simon is along for the journey. Second point, to love your neighbor as yourself means sacrificial action. This was a sacrifice for Simon. And here's how I believe it was a sacrifice. You'll see there our love definition in full. Love is relating to another as valuable even at cost to yourself. It's easy to love and value the people we like. It's Christ-like love when we sacrifice and relate to others as valuable for those people who are very different from us. Those people who it's not easy to get along with. You know you're following in Jesus' shoes on the cross when it looks and costs you. That's the kind of transformed love our world needs. Not to just get into these little tribes of all our best friends. We can't choose our neighbors, and we've got to love them as ourselves, and it means it's going to cost. Here's what it costs Simon. The first thing is his time. Do you think that Simon had a plan as to why he was headed into the city, and then he gets joined into the journey when Jesus is on his way out of the city? Have you ever been in... You were just in a position where you were headed somewhere and you're late and you got to be there. That's me all the time. Ready? And then your phone rings. Have you had to drop something to go do another something? How does this make you feel? Stressed. How does this make me feel? What? Anxiety? Yes. But by God's grace, I'm getting better because I'm learning that ministry is interruptions. One of the things that has been a gift to me is I stumbled upon this quote from a pastor. It's an unnamed anonymous pastor, but uh, it was a pastor who was aware that life means interruptions, right? Your kid's going to get sick. Your parents are going to be in a difficult situation. Your friend is going to need you to get this or do that or go and help do this. It's just going to happen. And this pastor said this, and this is on a screen too. He's, when he meets one of these needs, when he enters into these interruptions, he doesn't get stressed, he doesn't get anxious because he realizes there's ministry to be had here. And he says this, please, come sit down and let's figure out why God has put our two paths together. Let's figure out why God had our two paths crossed today. And isn't this a major game changer isn't this a way of relating to it and saying, you know what, Simon the Cyrene, we've never heard of him. But God had it to where their paths crossed. They didn't choose their neighbor, but they became neighbors. And there was a need, and the need was met. And he had to sacrifice his time. What is it you said, Michaela, that sometimes our plans aren't God's plans? Sometimes it takes going to Latin America to figure it out. But I think we can figure it out in Garland, Texas, too. And the question for us is this. Are you willing to drop whatever for those who aren't your friends and family? Simon didn't know Jesus. Maybe he would have heard about him. I don't think he knew him from Adam. 
And you know what he would have assumed about Jesus? He got himself in this mess. He didn't ask questions. Sure, the guards thrust it upon him, but he could have refused. And this is what he would have sacrificed, I believe. This is the third thing on that list. He could have sacrificed his safety. What if he had, go back to the list with the, uh, the things that he sacrificed. He could have sacrificed his safety and refused. What would they have done? Would they have beaten him? The fourth thing he would have sacrificed was his reputation by associating with this guy who deserved it, right? The second thing, if I jump back in my list, if he was going to be a pilgrim, if he was going to celebrate that festival, you can't touch a bloodied, near-dead person and be clean. He was willing to jump on board to be part of his plan, his journey. I think he did have a choice, but he met a need and he walked with them as long as it took. Because ministry is meeting people where they are and journeying with them to where God wants them to be. This is what we talk about in our leadership meetings. And we had a leadership meeting this week with our neighborhood group leaders. Thursday night, how we start every one of our meetings is we spend a significant amount of time praying. It just sets the tone. And so a quick little um, aside here. What we did was we printed off a sheet that's on our website. So like shameless plug here, tncgarland.com. I don't know, by the way, hey, did you know that we've had a new website for like six months with our new name? tncgarland.com, if you go to the resources tab, there's uh, where you can like listen to sermons and then there's a thing that says like spiritual formation. And there's like five PDF prayer guides that you can print, download, and just use. And so one of them is what we use and it's Philippians 2 verses 1 to 11. And it's that beautiful Christian hymn, that early Christian hymn that talks about Jesus who humbled himself. And it talks about how we are to have the same mind, the same mind that's in Christ Jesus. And so this is what we printed, and this is what we're praying. It's a way of reading it and reflecting and chewing on it. And so we were praying this in our context, and after we've kind of spent about 20 minutes just kind of with that sheet in silence and whatever, we're kind of debriefing, and we're saying, what does this mean for us as leaders who are loving and meeting people where they are? And so one of the verses that struck me was, Philippians 2, 8, in this passage you can download from our website. And it's really caught my eye, and it says that Jesus, or He, humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is like saying the very worst kind of death you could imagine. And then Aaron Sarkis said, you know, I've used this before to pray in such a way where I look at my own life, and I ask myself, what if, and this is the next part, this is the Aaron Sarkis version, and became obedient to the point of blank? Where is it in my life that Jesus is calling me to be obedient to the point of blank? You can't choose your neighbors, and we try. You can't choose what obedience looks like to follow Jesus, but we try. And we try to say, all of these blanks over here, Perfect. Got it. I'll never murder somebody, probably. Whoa, watch out. I saw a 2020 where a pastor killed his wife, and Amy's every night, she's going to bed, she's going, I'm watching you. And it was in Waco. What's the deal with Waco? Isn't it crazy? I won't kill anybody, I promise, as your pastor. That's one blank I can check off the list. Where I'm really interested in as we get this sermon back on track 
Where is it that we need to become obedient? Obedient to the point of my time, my money, my gifts, my way of being and walking with people I don't like. What is it that's the blank? What is it for you in this season? What is it that Lent is pulling at you and saying, pay attention, pay attention. These are places where I'm inviting you to take a step and I'm also inviting you to trust me. Where is it that you need to become obedient. Are we willing to sacrifice our time, our reputation, are all those things that Simon did to be associated with Jesus and the neighbors we would never choose? The third focus statement was a neighbor responds to a need. Simon wasn't ready, right? But he responded. See, when this, this is why I'm thinking of Jim, right? When I started this, because he wasn't ready to dive into six feet of mud. You know, he just did it. He wasn't ready to help those guys. They were on their way back. By the way, when he helped those guys that capsized, they were supposed to leave and be back. And they were like two hours away. But it didn't matter because he stepped in and met a need. We're, we could always have more time. You can always have more money. The thing that was so difficult for me as a young adult pastor at the church I was at previously is the way in which they would make these plans or just say that, like, we'll buy a house when we blah, blah, blah. We'll have kids when we blah, blah, blah. As if you can just have kids. No. There was this way of being and, and living that was like, I will do this when I have that. If this happens, then I will that. You can always have more time. You can always have more money. But the point is, are there needs right now in front of you that God is calling you to partner with him and meet today? God is a God of the now. I'm more and more convinced of this. And he wants us to join with him with what we're doing, what he's doing, because he wants it to do, he wants it to be with us, right? Our life is one with God. Our life is one to interact and intersect where heaven is overlapping. And I love this reflection from Station 5's prayer last year. And they said this, every day we are presented with opportunities. Every day, right? We pray for daily bread. And every day there is opportunities for you to live your faith. We just did like eight weeks in James about living your faith. You don't have to go wait and go to the Dominican Republic. You live your faith right now living and breathing in Jesus Christ, who is calling you to be good news to those who need it. Every day we are presented with opportunities to carry the cross for others. Often we find it easy to carry the cross for those that we believe are deserving of it. And let's be real. This is America. It's easy. God helps those who help themselves. Baloney. Jesus wouldn't die if we could have helped ourselves. That's the biggest load of junk I've ever heard. But he's calling us to partner with him to help those who are helpless, which is the last part of this reflection. Uh, if you go back, it says, um, we also justify ignoring the plea of others because we feel they, quote, brought it on themselves. Simon didn't know Jesus from Adam. Surely he deserved the cross you can always wait for more time, but there are opportunities today. Will you walk in that? Some of the crosses that we're invited to carry are really small, okay? Some of you need to carry the cross of loving your kids when you're at home, and it's really, really hard to. 
Some of you need to model that grace for them that you expect others to model toward you. And it's right there in that tension when it's so hard and you're so tired. And in the grand scheme of things, it may feel enormous, but maybe it's that small cross that every day, every day you're invited to carry. Christ, you are my life. You're all I need. Help me. Some of the crosses are enormous, and they're when those text messages or phone calls, and the bomb is dropped on you. And you don't know what to say to your friend. And you don't know how they're going to climb out of it. And you don't know how to encourage them. You don't know when the bomb is dropped on you what tomorrow looks like. Some of the crosses are enormous. Some of you are carrying crosses with people in this community, and it's crushing the weight of it. And that's where on those really, really big crosses is why you have a community, because we can all carry it together. And it's in those moments where we see that Jesus, the yoke really is easy and the burden really is light because we're carrying it with Jesus and with others. And by the way, let me say this, some of the crosses are not yours to share. Not every request equals your emergency. I want to be very clear about this. But Adam, you said love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. But we have to listen and listen well for those moments when the Holy Spirit says walk and when the Holy Spirit says sit down, go over in the corner, you have nothing to do with this. This is the hard part of that journey of life that we're on. Because sometimes we do have to say that is not my cross for this time. And that's okay. But you need to discern and you need to be at peace to own what you can own and let someone else own what only they can own. That's what I say all the time, too, when we're talking to people. I say, like, some of this is what I'm hearing, and it's, it's not yours to own, right? That's their backpack over there, and it's heavy, and they need to carry it. They need to go deal with it, and maybe they need somebody else. But this is your backpack, and it's pretty full on its own. Your cross is good. But still, I am not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. We've got to stay awake and pay attention to it. I wrote this down, this next slide, in the new year, because this is something I'm still learning and I still need reminding of. This is something I wrote in my little journal. Many times the daily interruptions we encounter are actually kingdom opportunities. They are those moments, however big or small, when heaven is knocking on earth's door. The most important thing is not that they happen, but that we will answer. Don't miss the knocking. Invite the kingdom of heaven into your day on earth. Isn't this what we pray? Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my day, in my house, in my family, in my job, as you would have it be in heaven. And he says, okay. And we go through our day like this. For those of you listening, I'm covering my eyes and ears. <laughs> we have to stay awake because the Holy Spirit is in you and at work in ways and places beyond you that you're not aware of. And when you show up, he's already there. And he's knocking and in that conversation, maybe that is a cross that you need to sit down and pick up. Because heaven is knocking, are we answering? 
And that's what it means to live into that prayer. Lord, would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. The more we stay awake to his voice, the more we are responders as neighbors. So as we draw to a close, we remember Simon didn't choose his neighbor, Jesus. Jesus didn't choose Simon, but they became neighbors. And Simon sacrificed all of these things just to be a part of Jesus' journey on the cross. And Simon responded where there is a need. And I love the detail at the end of our verse in 26 of Luke chapter 23. This little historical, actual, physical note. I love it, I love it, I love it. Look at the last two words. He's carrying the cross where? Behind Jesus. Now, I don't want to read too much into this literal, actual, physical detail, okay? But tell me, Luke, that he wasn't deliberate about this. Because in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I couldn't escape that ringing in my ears when I heard those two little words behind Jesus. In Luke 9, 23, he quotes Jesus as saying this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, sacrifice, and take up their what? Cross. And Luke says daily. Mark didn't say daily. Luke dropped it on you and says daily. And then what? Follow me. The presumption is this. You put on your cross and you do so behind Jesus. You follow him because he is the one who is leading. Yes? It's Jesus who leads the way and shows us what love and sacrifice looks like. So when we put on the cross and we do so behind Jesus, we're able to do it like Jesus in love and sacrifice. Behind Jesus. We don't know if Simon became a disciple. We don't. But we know he carried a cross and we know he followed behind Jesus. And I am pretty sure that he would have never forgotten that experience of him being a neighbor. But Luke 9.23 and the example of Simon and Jesus meeting together is a daily invitation to us to immerse ourselves into this story, to hear the invitation every morning when you wake up. Deny yourself today. Lent is great for doing that. Take up your cross, yours, others, whatever it is, take it up, but you don't do it alone because you're following Jesus. I don't know the way. Follow Jesus. I don't know what it looks like. It's getting heavy. Follow Jesus. But is it, are we going to rest? Are we going to do this? Is it going to be okay? Follow Jesus. Whatever he leads you to, he will lead you through. Even death is not the end. He will lead you through death if we are to be united to him. And the way we do that today in the present is to love our neighbors as ourselves and to be with Jesus every day, to hear his voice, to learn from Jesus how to love and sacrifice like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it's funny how everything, like you said, really does just come back to loving you with everything we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we pray, Lord, that that reminder would be fresh on our ears this evening and that it would be fresh in our bones and our bodies and our streets tomorrow. We pray, Lord, for help and strength to see when we need to help carry crosses, and for grace 
to rise to the challenge when the needs arise. So Lord, please continue to work with us and work in us and transform us as the neighborhood church to be good neighbors to all those we encounter. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God of our hearts, you desire to be close to us, that we might know you in every breath, in every hope, in every relationship. May we in turn draw close to one another to build your kingdom and your church. Teach us to recognize the covenant of justice, peace, and love you've written on our hearts. May your desires become our desires. Your work become our work. And our community, the place where you're sought and found. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now go in his peace.